I'm not certain I'd still be here now, just a year later, if I hadn't have gone into rehab then. Hello, welcome to Apocalypse. Thank you so much for tuning back in. This is my 21st century survival guide to life with me, Lex Fleming. Each week, I'll be inviting a special guest to come along and talk about a very important subject that we face as adults that maybe they didn't teach us at school. Like, who knew that if a female ferret didn't have sex for a whole year, she would die. Die, guys. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning back in to another episode of Apocalypse. I hope you've enjoyed the last few episodes. I've really enjoyed recording them and I'm quite excited about this episode for a couple of reasons. I am joined by one of my longest friends, Cher. Hi Cher. Hello. Hi. Longest um, in terms of time, not just how tall I am. <laughs> well, I'm, I think you are my tallest in that sense as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've invited Cher along to talk to me. Uh, this is a, a kind of special episode in some senses because what Cher, we, you know, what we're going to talk about, we've not really ever had a proper conversation about. Yeah, true. Yeah, it's actually been a long time coming, this conversation anyway. So Yeah, so I feel like this is going to be quite therapeutic for our friendship. Yeah. But hopefully anyone listening can maybe identify with some of the stuff we're going to talk about. Uh, you know, the, the name's on the tin a little bit in that it's a survival guide to life. Um, mm. So we're going to be talking about addiction. Yay! <laughs> oh, our <laughs> friend addiction. <laughs> and kind of how it's played a role in like our friendship, in your life, in your career. Mm. For anyone listening, a bit of a spoiler, Cher has just come out of rehab. You've been out how long? Uh, I've like since the 31st of Jan basically so just a couple months okay and then you've literally gone straight into a pandemic so yeah um, yeah it's sort of standard which is kind of (laughs) I think I I might have said this before but it's just like on the one hand I'm like oh for goodness sake I've just done 10 months on lockdown with no phone with blah blah all this stuff not being able to go where I want but and then I come out and within weeks I've got to go back indoors to do the exact same thing so it's a bit like sod's law but then also it's a I'm kind of prepared for it because I've just done 10 months doing this <laughs> but without my phone or anything like that, without the opportunity to talk to like my friends and my family. And, you know, so it's actually, you can look at it in two ways. You could be like, oh, for goodness sake, poor me. But also you could look at it like, at least I'm not in rehab. <laughs> and, uh, totally, totally. So we're just going to kind of start from the beginning. Like, so I've known Cher uh, uh, since I was 11. So that's I think, 20, yeah, we were about 11. Years. Yeah. Oh my days. Oh, that is insane. <laughs> oh my goodness. When you actually think about that, it's a long time. Yeah. That's a really long time. So can you I mean like I sort of remember the first time I met you, but I mean I don't know I don't think we've ever discussed like do you remember your first memories of me? <laughs> Not really. It wasn't memorable. <laughs> Wait, new number. Who actually is this? Um <laughs> I I know actually it's potentially because it's that long ago it's sort of like blurs didn't it yeah it's almost a bit like well yeah we've always been mates <laughs> it's like I yes. can't really remember the beginning yeah so we met um just to give everyone some context we met at a church social club yeah so, yeah yeah and then we used to hang out like every so we used to hang out like Wednesday after school Friday, Friday after night Friday. Sun- Sunday night um you also went to the kind of um twin school of my prime uh, oh sorry my secondary school yeah we've yeah. And now like 21 years on we've got a huge friendship circle we share like countless friends yeah all from the same area um uh, and yeah we like this is actually quite it's quite cool because actually a lot of us have known each other for a very long time and a lot of people, you know, have their friends from uni who become their sort of lifelong friends. But actually, a lot of us have been friends from way before that. And yeah, for those of you who went to uni, you probably don't, aren't still mates with a lot of people from uni. Is that the case? Yeah. I've only got a handful. So yeah, shout out to BR crew. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's loads of us, and you'll be hearing from a few other members of our friendship circle over coming episodes. Yeah. Um. So we're going to talk about your addiction. Um. Mm-hmm. I feel like when it came to your addictions or like your 
can you call it like a drinking problem? What 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 do you call it? What's the like? Oh, I, 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 to be honest, I haven't put a um, a thing on it really uh, because I I had a you know a substance abuse problem and uh, drinking problem and you know I suppose a sex addiction as well and uh, and mental health issues. <laughs> so it was. Um, you know, a whole sort of smorgasbord of things. So my sort of my approach to it wasn't really attacking any one bit in particular. Is I sort of just had to snatch everything to do with that because I was all you know me being me sort of addicted to everything. So you know, even at one point I thought I'd, I'd had a wobble with gambling as well. So it's like um, okay, I'm just that I've got that in me where I can find I can get addicted to anything. Um, I was chatting to um about this Ploma Faith big up um and how she's you know she's addicted to work I I think I can say I'm addicted to work for sure yeah like there's there's there are sort of addictive addictive traits in a a lot of people so I've got I just I've got an addict in me um so Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't I don't it's not localized to any one thing okay Uh, so so just to give again a little bit of context like so what do you want to explain what you do for a living before you went inside? <laughs> you go inside? <laughs> yeah. in, my, in my head, you went into like a really nice prison. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's so weird because it a lot of the lads who are in this um, rehab called Teen Challenge, um, there were no teenagers there, by the way. Um, it, it there were a lot of men have had been to prison and had been done it quite a lot of time, and they were like that was harder than prison. <laughs> um, right, because it's also voluntary um so you have to stay in there just by your willpower alone like you you know it's not like if if like prison's easy in some respects in that you have to you can just do the time you don't actually have to do any you don't actually have to rehabilitate yourself you don't have to change you know check your character necessarily you can still do drugs in there you can still in fact you probably do more end up doing more drugs and uh more crime and stuff in prison um Mm. so this was like Oh, it's it's X amount of time, and I have to actually <laughs> have to change, um, and it's all the stuff. I, it's all this stuff that I'm putting myself through as well. Like so, I know on the um, when you went inside, we had one phone call, and I I got to speak to you for mm-hmm. like ten minutes, mm-hmm. and you mentioned how there was always an envelope at the front desk with like a little bit of money in, so that you at any point could go I'm done and you could leave yeah. so you go in with it's a requirement of entry that you have to have like even if you're homeless or if you're or anything like that you have to raise 75 pounds cash right. somehow um, or get someone to sponsor you or whatever so anytime day or night if you say you want to leave 75 quid will be about enough to get you a bus ticket or you know train ticket or something somewhere to wherever you want to go so yeah you could go Obviously, if you if you rang some if you knocked on the door at midnight and be like, "I want to leave now," it's just like, "Well, you can't because yeah. you have to wait till tomorrow." Um, yeah. But you know, they take over a, over a duty of care of you as well, so you, it's, it's it's relatively straightforward to leave. But um, gosh, yeah. But it's it's that's that's that, the hardest part. It is the hardest part, and I you know you see one of the fascinating things you see is how quickly one of the reasons why it's so long is that it's not just about getting clean where mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of rehabs kind of only just deal with this with surface issues and uh you know three months you know for example is sort of a golden number in a lot of places which right. well, which is enough to get you clean of anything um but it's not necessarily it won't necessarily get you free right? it won't necessarily get you tooled up to sort of battle things going further so a lot of lads will after say even just the first month you put on so much weight just because there's it, the food's really good number one um, <laughs> and it's and you know you're having three square meals every day you're active all the time uh you know you end up looking better than you have done i think than most people had done for you know for months or years um so you start feeling yourself after you know say you've had your rattle you know first month and a half you're sort of feeling a bit better you're looking good you start tricking yourself into thinking sorry to interrupt what's what do you mean by rattle um a rattle is say if you're if you're doing a chemical detox of say something like um methadone slash heroin you take your sub subutex and basically as you you wean yourself off the drug 
um, on your subbies for like a week or two, a couple of weeks. But then your body goes into withdrawal, basically, and okay, yeah, spitting out the demons. Um, Jeez. Yeah, it's not. It's, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> it's not not yeah. good to watch. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so you do a rattle. Sorry, yeah. After you've done your rattle, so you, say you make it through, because that's a crucial period of time. Some guys can't necessarily even make it to that point. It, yeah, because it's really, you know, really hard. Um, but say you make it through your rattle, you're looking a bit better, you're feeling a bit better, you're getting sleep you're in a safe place, you know, you're getting food every day, etc. Some people start feeling themselves and being like, you know what, actually, I, I've got this, I'm all over uh, this and leave. Like, you can yeah. trick yourself into going way too early because you can, but I've found, I've heard people just make up any kind of excuses like, oh, that guy, I can't take it. That, that guy keeps, he's two-faced and all this. And it's just like, it's just like, mate, well, yeah, you're in a room full of drug addicts. <laughs> like, yeah. everybody's like, you're not going to find the sort of, necessarily the creme de la creme of character in the gaff um okay and then use that as an excuse to walk out or you know it's it's that's definitely the toughest thing because you do have to stay in there and just look at yourself in the mirror every single day like the good and the bad and you can't run away you can't escape in the sort of normal ways that you're used to i mean i've got so many questions now <laughs> let's just throw it back to like what you were doing before you went into rehab and like what was your um, when did you start thinking? I think I've got a problem here. Um, so I I've been basically on tour since I was eighteen. <laughs> like I moved, I did my six form in Ecuador, and I moved back um, in say August two thousand six, I believe. And I think I started touring that November um, with Jeremy Wormsley, I believe. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I've just been I've just been in different bands, uh, sort of lots of session musician work um as well as releasing my own music as well as be uh you know, like my current job slash latest jobs just being gorillas playing bass um and so because i want to talk about kind of briefly the kind of um assumption people have about the music industry mm-hmm. and what your take on that is like is does it live up to all of the rumors that that we know of the music industry just being like buffet tables of drugs um it's it's it kind of depends on the band it can vary okay. it can really really vary like some bands like uh with Paloma Faith it's not none of that at all like yeah. uh you don't she's she's actually she doesn't she's got a pretty zero tolerance on that and like in fact when I first joined her band she'd sat she'd sacked her previous band um because they're all on smack <laughs> um yeah uh like so that's not her vibe uh but then other bands, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit more acceptable. But it, it's definitely not hidden. I'd say that um, it's not just a case of, hey, come here, everyone's just, it's just, yeah, it's not just a banquet of, you know, class A's. Um, <laughs> That's but, what I imagine. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, but it sort of can be if you want it to be. If you're around the, certain people, so I mean, it's definitely certain parties are like that. Um, yeah, and certain bars are definitely definitely like that definitely some some clubs definitely like that it's it's 100 there if you if you want it and it's also 100 acceptable like if you if you want it especially if you can still do your job like yes i mean from my experience of like when we used to go out um so i came back from uni at 21 and that was kind of when you were working with paloma faith and her first album came out so i kind of was around for the paloma days and there wasn't that much to it and then i think i started seeing a lot more open displays of certainly cocaine Mm -hmm. I think as like different jobs came up and you started like rolling through different scenes. Yeah. And I think one of the things was always just like, I I think I suppose in the back of my mind, I've always sort of wanted, I've been a very curious person. And I grew up in a you know very Christian, quite uh, sheltered, I suppose, in that respect manner. So as soon as I'd moved out of home when I was 18, like I didn't even have a phone, like my own phone till I was 17. Uh, and, you know, it's just like, I just sort of, I kind of wanted to say yes to sort of everything. Yeah. <laughs> like everything. And I sort of I just did. I just sort of, I was kind of, the sort of the bed was made for me to be susceptible to influence and to that kind of lifestyle because I, I just wanted its stimulus. Which again, it's one thing that makes me, 
you know, I suppose I'm good at my job is that I'm sort of a curious mind and constantly seeking, you know. Uh, but it, it's always been something on this, but always been something on the sidelines where, you know, I'm I'm willing to say yes to anything musically, but I was also saying yes to everything else. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're very much a yes man. I very much am. Yeah, and it sounded yeah, yeah. you in a tiny bit of trouble. <laughs> a little bit. So talk to me about when you started realizing that maybe you need you like things were maybe starting to go a little bit out of control for you. I've known I've known since the beginning. Like to be honest, really? I knew I I knew I liked drinking way too much at like when I was eighteen. I think though our friendship circle generally are big drinkers. We were always yeah. at the pub. Um, like I look back at my twenties and think I drank all my money in O'Neills. <laughs> so we were, we always came from like big, a very big drinking culture. We used and also to drink- British. So there is, there is that, but I think it's more so than just being, just drinking and just being around drink, uh, people who drink. Um, yes. I just knew that I liked it more than I could control it. Like, Again, in the same way that if ever I was offered a drink, I'd have one. If ever there's an opportunity to have a drink, of course I'd say yes. Didn't matter yeah. what type of time of day or night it was. Um, I sort of I knew that I or I didn't necessarily have a problem with it then, but I knew that I would have a problem with it. I knew it was something that was I I that would go out of control, like right from the beginning. That's one. That's one thing also about sort of a lot of addicts as well is that we're very aware of, actually of our weaknesses. Um, but the biggest weakness we often have is not actually trying to confront it. Um, addicts are very self-aware, extremely self-aware, which is one of the reasons why, you know, you, it's just so manipulative, but we actually, I actually, I knew that this was bad for me because it tasted so sweet. <laughs> um, so when did the Coke start happening? Oh, uh, again, I started 18 around then, okay. um, but it wasn't not so much. It wasn't until like say just after I was wasn't there until about 24 really that I didn't that it kicked in See, and that blows my mind because I I'm obviously quite night I mean I've never done drugs I never did it at uni you know like it just was never for me alcohol was enough yeah um <laughs> and I really only knew that you had a problem there was one afternoon we went to a pub in Bromley where we're, we're from um and you kept going to the toilet and I was like why does he keep going to the toilet and I think I said to a mutual friend like what has he got like a urine infection or something and they were like Lex he's he's doing coke and I was and it I, I couldn't believe it that was that was when I realized that yeah there was problem yeah so it's 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 weird when you actually just say it like that how just how bait it is um for those really listening who don't know what bait means that means obvious um, <laughs> we do have our own language don't we yeah um it and, and again it i actually i was very aware of how often you know how often you're going to the, to the toilet and that um but at the time the the need to do it overrides yeah, like, yeah I, I did not care it's just like yeah. you know let them, let them think what they want to think but I'm gonna do I'm gonna do what I want to do yeah. yeah I know that there were a number of occasions I'd sort of hear in our friendship circle that you know oh last night there was an intervention for share yeah and I never really got involved with them I think because I think that the thing that I'm kind of I'm making this sound so selfish. The thing that I'm going through. <laughs> so, oh yeah, let's hear about you. Yeah, let's bring it back to me. Um, the thing that I'm sort of looking back on the last 10 years or whatever, where we were young adults and thinking we knew shit, yeah. was I never really faced up to your addictions either. Like having been a friend of yours for so long, mm-hmm. I, you're like a brother. And I think if you, if, if you'd actually said to me, yeah, I, I do these drugs or yes, I do ABC. Mm-hmm. I think I'd go so fucking mental at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that doesn't help. Like looking back, that wouldn't have helped. No, but also looking back, I also knew I didn't want to say anything to certain people because I knew they would call me out. Mm. Like just straight up call me out. And and I wouldn't have 
and I didn't want to hear that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And also, I'd have definitely phoned your like your middle brother and yeah, been like, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, we need to go and knock on his door. <laughs> and again, I just looking back, I think the thing I'm realizing with your addiction or in general addiction is interventions and whatever's can help for a short period of time, but until you're actually ready to. It yeah. doesn't really work. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. And also, it's. I feel like there there should be so. It's almost like there should be a group for friends. Not you know sort of groups for people who have friends who are in addiction who aren't necessarily in addiction themselves, but how to approach someone in addiction. Yeah. Like because that is it is a bit hard because all this I'm surrounded by all these people who love me but don't know how to tell me to stop or help me to stop or anything. It's just like how do you do that? Do you just make the person feel more comfortable around you? you like lock them in their house yeah well, that, and that's exactly I feel like in our friendship circle we we felt all of it there were some people uh, and probably myself a little bit like that I just thought well he must have it under control because he's not reached out for help that was always kind of my yeah. stance yeah no true I think there's that there's definitely and then you've got you then you, you know I'd hear things from people you like borrowing money and that always really confused me because I just thought well he's not asked me yeah and I thought it's because he knows I'd be like I want an itemized list <laughs> <laughs> of what that is being spent yeah. on <laughs> yeah 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 you're right I think the, the our friends have run the whole gamut of feelings um because also there would be times where I, I'd seem to have a you know a bit of control on it or mm. you know I wouldn't just be a mess all the time Initially, no. initially anyway so it's just like it's like oh is he actually all right is this just a period of time or whatever and it's just like it was a constant thing but uh, yeah it, it's I mean I think certainly when I still lived in Bromley and we were all seeing each other as often as we were mm. I in my head I was like well you're showing up for work you're doing the jobs you're being asked to return for the jobs mm-hmm. and if he wants to be doing that then I you know who am I to sort of stop that but I yeah. feel like when I then left Bromley, I then moved to Essex. I feel like I then didn't witness sort of what happened next. Yeah, there was a sort of it, it, there was just a sharper because in the past five years I started working so much more, mm. and but also was just was just blocking out so much more. Was just like just neglecting uh, everything. I was neglecting. I think I didn't realize how quickly this habit sort of became a problem. Like. It, it it became it was an occasional thing and then it was like every time I went out and every time I went out became every day then it became an everyday thing and then it's like oh shoot I need to buy more today so I'm not calling the guy up like early tomorrow and then it's just like oh, I've got to prepare for the next three days and then it's like and then it's just like sooner or later that's everything became more consuming and it's just like Actually, I didn't have anything else going on. It was just keeping up with my addiction. And then that 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 was like basically 20, sort of 17, 2018 was just... You started hanging out with sort of another group of friends. Would you agree? Yeah, and I think it's it's from basically just going out every day so so if I was just on off the road I'd just I just end up in the pub and just be just meet people that way and then so Mm. and invariably just be end up in sessions with these people and again mad love to them like it's you know these are my choices but it's yeah then I start yeah when you start sort of separating yourself from the people who really love you and the people who would really call you out on it which I think is a tell it's definitely a telltale sign if you're sort of you're suddenly just not about all the time, but you like, I'd bump into like our mates, yeah, who I said say I'd said that day like I didn't want to do anything just because I knew I was going to be like picking up, but then just meeting up with people to do coke, and then I bump yeah. into our mates in the pub, be like, oh, you're right, it's like oh shoot, and I'd I'd then sort of hear those little snippets of stories, yeah, but again, I didn't, I just think I in my head coming and shouting at you was no good. No, it was like I, again because I, I'd I've been starting to sort of feel sort of a pushback and just but just not necessarily in an aggressive way but just people sort of having less and less time for me. But mm-hmm. again, in an addict's mind, it's almost a bit like of a relief because it, it's just it means like oh there'll be less and less on my back. But it's actually a case yeah. of it's actually it's extremely sad. And yeah, it, it it then becomes it's almost like even if you wanted to ask for help you're like you're too embarrassed to ask for help so at what point did it reach for you asking for help i basically i didn't really ask for help i sort of got so low 
and this is hectic, but I I saw I was I was got into the the habit of sort of cutting myself a bit, and I made a video of me cutting myself and I sent it to Kaz. Um, okay, Kaz, your girlfriend. Kaz, my girlfriend, my poor superwoman. Um, she, I, I mean, honestly, the shit she's put up with. I can't. I like I can't believe it. Um, that's a whole episode in itself. In yeah. fact, you get her on and be like, "So what? Your <laughs> shitty boyfriend? <laughs> oh, so, why?" Um, but and then and she sent that to my family, being like, "Your boy needs help." Um, okay. so she, she's the one who saved my life. A, cl- a collective effort, but that's that was the that was the catalyst because I actually didn't have any. I didn't have the language to even ask for help. Yeah, that was a cry for help, obviously. But you know it. I, I I steamrolled myself into a wall and was fortunate enough to have people that love me still in that in that moment to come and pull me out. Well, you you said that um, you thought that your parents would kind of go mental at you, but actually they were just like, okay, right, well, let's yeah. sort this out. It was straight to just business. It was like, okay, we're come up and stay with us. You know, we'll buy you the ticket. Let's start looking at rehabs. You know. Um, yeah it was no and I think and with all of our friends again it was relief was the it was the overriding um uh emotion and even with Kaz who I've put through the absolute ringer mm. relief was I think the main thing it's just like oh thank goodness you're at least seeking help whether you want to you know whether I want to be with him or not blah blah and I think same same with like friends it's just like whether or not I want I'm still going to be mates with him or not at least he's getting help yeah I don't and I think and I think People, uh, people probably. I don't know if you could probably speak to this. Um, potentially had written me off in a, in a way, or were just like let him get some help and see. Like I don't think anybody knew how seriously I would take this. From my point of view, like you're my oldest friend. I've known you almost twice as long than mm-hmm. I than I've not known you. So yeah. I, in my head, I think I always think I always try and think quite long term. I think with you and yeah, we mm-hmm. might not talk for six months, a year. Yeah, it's always the same. Yeah, like I know we'll always be in each other's lives in some way, right? And so I like, so from my point of view with all of this, I moved from Bromley, I moved to Essex, sort of when I was going through my own shit, Mm. I needed to like really clear my head, I just needed to not, um, I just needed to disconnect briefly to to sort my brain out. Mm. And it was only so you went into rehab in February, is that right? Oh, well, I left uh Bromley and the end of February but I started rehab first of April last year that's it April 2019 okay so I found out in June yeah (laughs) so I didn't know for months Mm. and it was only when I sent you a text and said you know just seen this and thought of you I hadn't spoken to you for a while because I think you're at the height of your addiction Mm -hmm. and how how it was being portrayed to me was you were lying quite a lot mm-hmm. and you were very flaky. So, and, yeah. and I'm they're like the two things that I can't stand in people. <laughs> so you just like ticked each box. Of like, well, you're, you're an arsehole. I can't be bothered right now. Um, and again, my naivety, you know, you, I heard rumors from friends or I heard stories from friends, but you never, because, in a way, because you never physically did a line of cocaine in front of me. Mm-hmm. They were just stories, I guess, in my head. Yeah. So we hadn't spoken in a while. I sent you this text. It, it, you you left me on unread and was like, douche, what douche? <laughs> and then spoke to a mutual friend and I said, have you heard from Cher? And he phoned me and was like, yeah, so <laughs> Cher's in rehab. <laughs> in a minute. <laughs> yeah. So what was your, that- what was your, when, you, when you heard that, how did you feel? I was in shock. Yeah. I actually was in shock because I thought, I, I I don't know, I thought maybe you would, and again, I, I hope that there are people listening to this that can understand this, what I'm about to say, but like, I guess there was a point where I just thought he'll sort himself out, mm-hmm. but rehab is a much bigger picture than just sorting yourself out. Um, yeah. And I think there was a brief moment of shock and then it was, uh, genuinely, I said to the, our friend, thank God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's when because there was always a part of me that was like, am I going to get a phone call to say he's in hospital? Uh-huh. He's, you know, he's done something or he's overdosed or whatever. There was there was maybe always that's where it was going. One hundred percent. Like okay. I, I'm 
certain, well, in fact, what's even worse is like, I'm not certain I'd still be here now, just a year later, if I right. had gone into rehab then. Um, yeah. It was getting that, it was, it was getting there. Yeah, I, I, it was such a sort of perfect timing. Also in a way, just, you know, I was just, I turned 30 and... <laughs> Um, it was just you know just the beginning of the you know our thirties and just like you know new decade and if if it didn't happen then I swear it's it would have been game over to be honest and and yeah. I think it, it would have been that phone call that everybody was dreading and then I think everybody would have had that aching feeling of I wish I could I wish I did something which again invariably you unfortunately can't, there's nothing you could have done if I didn't yeah I think it's because I know you and I think. There's, I go through phase, like whenever we talk, there's like a 10 second of, oh man, I, I should have done more. But actually, I can't help but feel like what happened has been the best thing. It's, yeah. So that's sort of on the flip side of it, actually. It's one thing I I like to say that I oddly have in common more with some of my brothers in recovery from from the rehab than I do with actually a lot of people, even like people that I've known for a long time is that... Yeah. We we have something in common. We know what it's like to say hit our worst, hit rock bottom, and fight our way out. You know, like actually seeing what you're made of in that moment. I'm I'm really glad that I've that I'm cap that I'm actually capable of making such a change. I I actually wrote myself off long before um, anybody else did. I think that's that's one of the beautiful things. Like say with my parents, right. with, my, with my missus, and my friends, that actually even that your your fleeting belief like he'll sort himself out. I think people believed in me a lot more than I did. And uh, right. one of the best realizations of this was that I'm willing to do something extremely hard for my greater good and for the greater good of those around me. And I like, I, th- I think one thing where I think of it is like the blast radius of my, my bad decisions was, was pretty big and, and heartbreaking and uh, despicable and horrible. But I think, good is always you know has far better effects than bad like the blast radius of my of this good decision of changing my life in this way is going to have such greater impact than my bad decisions ever did and I think that's where I'm at in my head and that's where I think this has been such a positive in that it's it took me getting to my worst part in my life to make the best decision of my life um yeah and I'm I think I'm coming out swinging I'm coming out a lot stronger and yeah, it's it's been a cat. It's also oddly been a catalyst for other people around me to look at themselves as well. Um, that's been one of the coolest or most interesting responses is just, um, saying this to people, and some people being like, "You know what? I've been thinking of like cutting down, drinking for a long time, or I've been thinking, mm-hmm. of, um, you know what? Seeing you do this has made me sort of start exercising more, or like have, having me just sort of take a moment to like just reflect on you know on what my life has been like or something like that. It's like it's already having positive effects on not just me. And I think that's super cool. You, I mean, I, I'm definitely speaking on behalf of like everyone in BR crew, but we are so fucking proud of you for, for like, for a acknowledging that you needed help. Yeah. And B completing the program because it's so easy to not. Yeah. Um, so like we, we're so happy that we have old share back. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, like I, I can speak for myself, but I'm sure everyone listening to this from our friendship circle will ad- agree. Like, there was definitely a change in who you were. You, mm-hmm. you the, the, the like person you are at your core, and who I remember when I met at le- eleven and hung out again at twenty one. Like, you, there's a good, there's a good person in there. You've, you, you're a good person, mm-hmm. and I think that got quite hazy towards the like end of our twenties. Yeah. Um. But it feels like from the few conversations I've had with you since you've left, obviously the the good old Rona means that we can't <laughs> hang out. <laughs> but yeah. um, like I can see a massive change in you, and it, it does feel like the old shares back. Oh, great! Well, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm happy about that. But also, it's I think it's there's a new yeah new share. I'm definitely not the same person I was before, but I think the best bits have been salvaged. Yeah. Um. Like I asked, so I asked Kaz like straight up, why are you with me? Like this is this was like I think on my last weekend home. So this is like January. I did all my weekends with with her in London. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think I just rago asked her like, why? And she's like, well, because I saw a different you than anybody else did. Mm. Like there was something in there that she thought was 
with all the rubbish, like which also that coupled with superhuman superhuman perseverance and like a high pain threshold, she managed to do do this. But there was some yeah. she clearly thought there was something in there worth saving. So yeah, I feel like a different person. Um, but with with the best bits you know still there and also one of the best things i think i have now are, are, are options because i've never again since i was 18 i never stopped i just was yeah. saying yes to everything and just touring and just doing this doing that doing this doing that and i was on my gap year from uni um, <laughs> like 11 years <laughs> yeah i'm still on my gap year like I, <laughs> I haven't messaged warwick university back saying i'm not coming so my dorm's still there um so it's like what what else am I capable of like what else can I do like I'm not just my work and you know I'm, I've got so many other things to me so many other ideas and still only 30 well 30-ish yeah 30-ish and it, it's one of the things that's really bad about addiction is that you feel like there's no hope that's you, you mm. that's the the downward spiral there's nothing worse than feeling hopeless like feeling worthless and just feeling like there's no there's no light at the end of this tunnel. Like the, the the two ways that that goes is either you say, fuck it, and I'm just going to crack on and go in deeper. I might as well. I messed it all up now. I might as well just go in, which is yeah. what I did. And then that eventually leads to, I don't want to be around anymore. And that's where it was going. Okay. Yeah. So one of the best things that you know going to re- rehab did and being honest has, has done is that it's given me hope again. Like I, f- mm. I feel like good things can happen. Yeah. You mentioned that you might go back to school in some manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, could study something or, you know, culinary school. I've got an idea for a cookbook. Like even like uh, there's a, a dude at the, uh, well, it's, uh, David Crabb, who's a deputy manager of the centre, um, who's also a, he's a counsellor. And he actually also like counsels counsellors. He's like an Uber counsellor. Um, and he, he, yeah, I don't even know that was a thing. Um, but he he was saying I'd potentially be a good counsellor because I've always had like empathy and been able to communicate pretty well and uh, yeah. and having gone through this <laughs> this madness this there's actually I you know I've potentially got quite a lot to say and a lot to give back so there's that's why I started doing these sort of I've been talking about it doing these sort of sober club things on my Instagram live with Adrian um, to sort of just talk about sobriety and. Uh, especially in an industry where people don't necessarily talk about it that much. Totally. I think our generation don't talk about it enough. Yeah, um, And that's kind of why I wanted to do an episode with you because mm. um, there might be people listening that are either in uh, your position, they mm. know that they need to, to kind of break a cycle or mm. get some help or whatever, but then also there might be people that are in my position or our friend's position where you're watching someone do it, don't know how to help. Yeah. So let's talk survival guides. What survival guide would you give to someone who listening to this thinks that they can relate to your story? Um, I think one thing I'd say, which is the probably the most obvious thing is about talking about it and being honest. Um, and that comes in different ways so uh, let me just tell you for a fact that say the people that people that love you will not run in the other direction mm-hmm. you have there's far more goodwill out there for you than you actually think there is um being honest about this is invariably going to be a relief to people and it's not going to be a surprise to people if you think you have a problem with drink or drugs or gambling or fighting or anything like that as soon as you say it to someone they'll be like yeah well we know and you know I'm glad that you that you're saying something reaching out is even before you get to taking the step of oh I'm going to look at a 12-step program I'm going to look at an AA program or anything like that mm-hmm. but the easiest the, not the easiest but the earliest thing you can do the simplest thing you can do is speaking to say even just one person of being like I've got a problem with this this and this can you help me or can you just listen um because you have there are you have people out there there's somebody that will want to help you and um the sh- obviously the shame of admitting your things is there and you know it's, it's horrible to admit you have problems you know but um i think talking about them is absolute strength but then being honest with yourself in that 
you know, you might have said sorry a million times, but that doesn't mean anything anymore. So mm. like the words I'm sorry and I promise went dried up in my vocabulary ages ago. I had to actually do something. Like your behavior doesn't lie. Saying sorry, nobody really necessarily cares about that anymore. You can be, say sorry to be blue in the face, but you have to do something. And even just talking to somebody and admitting that you have a problem um, is starting to do something. Because you, know, you could say, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to drink again. That doesn't who, who, how can you tell until you don't drink again? Do you know what I mean? Also, it's not going to happen overnight. That's another thing you have to sort of just be honest with yourself about this. It's going to be hard. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's not easy and you're going to have to make um, life changes. But if you look at yourself at your worst, just remember, you have to remember. That's one thing I had to do every day when I was in rehab. Like, I remember my interview to get in. Uh, I told them about my Christmas last year um, or the previous year. So, Christmas. 18 yeah and yeah. it was you know I was alone it was just me and like an eight ball of coke and nine bottles of wine it was it was one of the saddest things that ever happened um and I told them about that and um this this chap Sammy Pastor Sammy he said that's the reason why he let me in I, I swaggered in there you know like I can only imagine yeah, do you know what I mean? Sort of full leather jacket, massive hat, all the all the swag in the world, glasses, the d- darkest sunglasses ever. I was high and right. and sort of was giving it like the perfect. I was smashing the interview. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what I mean? But obviously, but he was, but he saw the sadness in there, yeah. and he was like, he kept on reminding me when I was in rehab. He was like remember how you felt that Christmas and how you don't ever want to go back there. You know, rem- remembering, you know, those things, you know, and the shame and stuff like that is not necessarily a bad thing. Like dwelling yeah, on it yeah. is one thing, but just remembering that you don't, using it to motivate yourself. I don't ever want to feel like that again. Definitely. You know, forgiving forgiving yourself, but not forgetting about stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like forgive and remember is far more useful than for, forgive and forget. Like, um you know you have the capacity to move on from that but yeah not wanting to go back there and I mean there's there's so there's lots of different places to go I've, I've I did a 12 step no I did a um, program called Teen Challenge which is uh, it's got different centers around the country in fact it's in 120 countries it's all over the place wow um, that's crazy I didn't know that yeah yeah no it's massive and it's not just rehabs they do lots of community projects and stuff and uh, but mainly it does it does work with sort of um, addiction problems um, started in New York in like 1958. But so so basically, wherever you are in the world, you can get in touch with. I mean, it's one it's one that I would recommend because I've done it before. It's actually got the highest success rate of people staying clean for five years um, than of any in the world. I'll put um I'll put all the like relevant links in the bottom yeah. of this episode. So anyone listening that feels like they want to reach out, they can yeah, check it out. But this is only just it's what worked for me. I'm not saying you necessarily have to do a teen challenge program. What you have to do is something. You can't just white knuckle it and be like, oh, I'm just I'm just going to quit and just stay in my house and, you know, do that. Because yeah. unless you unless you sort of tackle other things like it's not just taking drugs like or taking or drinking or whatever. It's like it's far more. There's something else going on. Um, and it's not necessarily to mean that you have to have been. Oh, I, I take drugs because I was abused as a child. Not necessarily, but I take drugs because oh, I, I constantly seek other people's approval. It's like why is that? Then you sort of start peeling back layers and layers and layers of why why you do things. One of the best things that I've come out with is just the ability to really objectively self-analyze and not judge myself, but actually just check myself. Yeah, check him. Um, yeah, because I had like I had a bit of a wobble um, Sunday slash Monday. Yeah, I was feeling super anxious and just really, I couldn't really necessarily, I didn't really know why, but I started to feel just this this hum of something, just the darkness coming on me. And I was just like, I started retreating into my room a lot more. Mum and dad mm-hmm. would just ask me like, hey, you're right. I was just like, no, I'm good, I'm good. I started just sort of letting whatever this feeling go. It was just like, but I had to sit and be like, why am I feeling like this? And I remembered I had to call the tax office about something that I haven't addressed since January. Yeah. It's something that I really I think look, they're getting lots of phone calls right now. Yeah. Like, oh, hello, my dad. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I'm broke here. Bye. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's it's that that's the sort of feeling that if left unchecked, I could already feel it. Like the thought pattern was, you know what, I could smash a cigarette right now because I'm feeling this stress. And then that would be like, you know what, I could do with a drink right now because of this if I just left it. But I I made the phone call and everything's fine. Um, 
but it's or rather everything's it's not as bad as I thought yeah and that's the sort of but that's the sort of thing that I would have added to a whole list of lots of things that I was avoiding which makes you just want to retreat into that hole even more and now that I, I just look at my behavior and look at my, and you know, feel my feelings and just like address them. Is it that you can, you notice in yourself the kind of the warning signs? Yeah, because there, there are always, always warning signs to, to, yeah. to lapse slash relapse. Like, and all, and invariably, you know, relapse happens way before you actually take that substance again. It's when you start having the same sort of, when you start lying and when you start sort of, uh, having similar yeah. sort of behavior patterns and all this stuff like um you know if i if i left that phone call undone i would have i would have had to start like other bits would have started crumbling and it would have led one to like i would have relapsed and then way before actually having having the drug like i think um being able to self-analyze and being all right with that is one of the yeah. one of the biggest things and having great i i thankfully i'm in a great situation i'm at my parents place i'm i have space to think and uh but i have great friends and great family and uh, yeah. great misses like i'm i'm winning on all fronts i not everybody's as fortunate as i am to succeed um, or not everyone has the same uh chances <laughs> yeah what advice would you give anyone listening to this that maybe has a friend or family that like so for example like what advice would you give me two years ago like what would you need from your friends or your family um you know what the only thing so I'm not sure because I haven't been in your position but I think what I would have maybe responded to or what would have potentially is just saying just just saying that I that you're there like yeah um, if you like, don't ever hide. If you, if you think your mate has a problem, tell them. Don't necessarily break down their door, but send them a message. Being like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is absolutely what I wanted to do. <laughs> don't break your mate's door down. Uh, <laughs> just just tell them. Like, if you think your friend has a problem, if you think your family member has a problem, and if you might have told them before, tell them again. Just be like, look, I think you need help. Mm. There's, there's, there's places you can go to, or I'm here for you like there's nothing you necessarily can do until they want to respond like so maybe have in the back pocket maybe maybe check out a few like do some research reading on different um like rehabs and stuff like if in case they come back and be like yeah i think i have um can we talk or do you have any ideas and be like well yeah. this out so you can you can practically do something but the, the main thing i'd say is actually because sometimes your friends don't really you may not realize that your friends actually have your back and you may not realize that because it is awkward being like we we want to have an intervention. That's that's really really awkward for but for both parties. But but just telling your friend sort of personally, just being like, look, um, I think you got a problem with this, that, the other, and they might chuck it in your face. I think that was definitely my fear. I I felt like my I guess my instinctual thing to have done at that point, if if I I think if I had really mm. acknowledged the issue. Mm would have been to phone your brother down in Brighton like that that's what I wanted to do mm-hmm. but I was I guess terrified of your reaction to me doing that yeah I, I think that's yeah fair enough but what's far more important is that you do it still like they'll probably they'll potentially in that moment so they might even hate you or um, might yeah. like I'm a grown person like what fuck? but eventually they'll thank you um and yeah it's an act of kindness and that is never wrong it's never ever ever wrong yeah, like like true. and that person's not thinking straight necessarily it's just like who who cares if they take your act of kindness wrong <laughs> it's like yeah, really like what's the worst they can do not like you until they're sober and love you for it yeah that's actually a very good point it's um, I, I think it's it's so much like sort of fuck your feelings a bit it's like mm. i care far more about your life than your feelings and it's like just yeah. get if tell that tell them i think be you can say the right thing the wrong way though so don't like again like i said don't kick the door down don't punch me in the face <laughs> you know me too well <laughs> yeah, i know right <laughs> that's why i moved to chorley <laughs> like bye um, yeah no, like, uh, but I think they need to know. They need to know because also, if if there's a, in if they initially might take it wrong, but that message has gone through. It will, it will resonate. 
I think in you know I, I, for our circumstance, our friends' situation, there were interventions, whether they were yeah. right or wrong. But they were so well intended, exactly, because they weren't working. I know I said to some friends on numerous occasions, like these interventions aren't working. You have yeah, to yeah. get family involved. But that's obviously your circumstance, and for people out there that maybe don't have family nearby or you know, they do live by themselves or all these other things. Like there's, I, I hopefully will be able to um, put some links in the... the um... Yeah, there's, there's people to talk to. And sometimes, it's, you know, it's, it's easier to talk to somebody you don't know. But I think it's, but as long as you're talking about it is the one, like it, whether you, could, if you, you may not be able to open up to your best mate or to your, your family or something about this, eventually you will have to. But as long as you, you are talking, even if it's to yeah, someone anonymously on a helpline or um, go down to your local AA or, or something like this, I think there's there's sort of a feeling of obviously there's an overriding feeling of shame. That's that's what floods you as soon as there's there's relief when you actually start talking about it. But there's, <laughs> there's so much crippling shame yeah. that comes with that. But eventually that goes and there's nothing you can do about those things now. All you can do is take ownership of what you do from now on. And yeah, you know, I, I you know, I struggle with you know, with guilt and shame, you know, but it's a lot less now. And I know that every day that I try to do something positive and, and change my ways is another day I'm further away from those things, the less and less that person is still who I am. Yeah. I think uh like I like again I said, like your behavior doesn't lie. And it's like I'm doing my I'm doing my best at not being that person anymore. And that's all I can Yeah. Absolutely. I this has been really nice. I think this is a conversation we've needed. Yeah. And I'm hoping that anyone listening to this has learned something. Mm. Like I've definitely learned something. And that's kind of what I want from these podcast episodes. Yeah. Um, a friendly way to learn about being an adult. And also learn about how long is it a year that if what animal is it that doesn't take have sex for a If a female ferret doesn't have sex <laughs> for a year, they die. I can't believe it. That's crazy. But you've learned so there's it's a lot of information today. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this, and I think it's a great, great what you're doing. Thanks, thanks, babes. There'll be loads of information in the episode um, information. So if you have listened to this and you feel like there's been a part that has resonated with you, click some links. Um, if you have any questions, always email apocalypsepodcast at gmail.com and I will find a way for share or someone to help you. Rock and roll. So yeah, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, catch you later. All right.